2,000 years ago, Jesus offered a famous message. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And what he speaks about over these few chapters turn life upside down. Uh, they blow away his listeners. And what's amazing is that it still has relevance for us uh, today. Now, all through this series, this is uh, part uh, six. Uh, we started earlier on uh, before Christmas, but all through this series, we've been reminding ourselves, trying to take this idea, this concept, this philosophy that many of us have in our heart and move it and keep it in our head, move it or keep it into our heart. And that is Jesus can make life better and makes us better at life. And over this whole series, that idea rings true as he speaks into our lives about things that are not easy to talk about and things that are painful and, for many of us, very hurtful. And uh, if you need to catch up, you can do that online, get a, get, get a CD at guest services. You can do that uh, very easily um, by, by checking those kinds of things out. But again, today is a PG-13 message, and all that means is that uh, we will touch on some things that can be sensitive, and it gives you as parents an opportunity to talk about these, hopefully around the table or in the living room or when you're driving someplace, uh, because we all, uh, in a sense, uh, wonder about these things to, to some degree. Now, I can remember uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, divorce, and remarriage and touching on a few of those things. Obviously, we can't answer every single question, but we can give a little bit of a grid work to look through. As we talk about this, uh, we're going to talk about this with, with grace and compassion and love and gentleness, but also some directness. So we're trying to, trying to balance that out. Now, my girls were maybe 10 or 11 or a little younger than that, when one day they were talking to Cindy and I, and I think the, the twins were taking the, the lead on this conversation, and basically all of a sudden somewhere in their world they had discovered that not all mom and dad stay married. And that really disturbed them. And they, they wanted to know what we thought about that. Did we even know that, first of all? And then they wanted to find out if, if what our marital status was. Would we be staying together? Or could they expect some kind of situation in, in the future? So very calmly, very gently, we reassured them uh, that no, we love each other and our hope and our plan is to stay married way past you moving out of the house. We're actually looking forward to that moment because we still love each other and are going to enjoy being empty nesters. So we kind of set them at ease, but they still were a little skeptical. And really, over the next two or three years, this conversation would circle around every once in a while, and we'd have to reassure them uh, that uh, you know our intention uh, was this. Now, we also had to reassure, reassure them or, or just be frank that there really are no bulletproof matters. Marriages. And so we had to invest time and we had to work on it. 
And there would be moments uh, every year, or at least once a year, maybe twice a year, where Cindy and I would go way by ourselves. And we, when they would kind of feel gypped about that, um, we would remind them that this is so mommy and daddy can uh, just be together is because they love each other and invest in their lives. And they, they kind of uh, accepted that. So, so uh, you, you know, th- this is on, we're unpacking this and talking about this. And we need to realize that all marriages are vulnerable. All of us have been touched in some way by a marriage that has not made it. Uh, Maybe personally, maybe some of us are are on another marriage, a second marriage, or even a third marriage or more. And and we've had these experiences, or maybe a loved one, maybe our parents. Uh, I can remember being uh, shocked when my aunt and uncle, who'd been married 30-plus years, decided that they weren't going to be married anymore. And I I just, I I couldn't believe that as a teenager. So, so you know, all of us have been touched with this some some degree, and, and none of us are, are, are bulletproof from something like this. You know, when, when, we, all, when we all start out uh, married and in love and in all those kinds of things, uh, usually we start out something like this. I was in college, put myself through school, and I was a waitress, and... Jeff came into the place that I was working one day and he walked in and I looked over and I saw this man that was just unbelievably handsome. The first time I walked in, I thought, wow, she, she could be the one. And I thought, who in the heck is that? She was beautiful. She was everything I had ever dreamed about in a wife and actually asked her out for a date. We were in love with each other. Uh, I couldn't sleep well. <laughs> um, I had butterflies all the time and he seemed to have the same. Probably nine months after we started dating, Cheryl had to go off to Dayton, Ohio for some training. When I came back, uh, Jeff uh, picked me up from the airport, whisked me off to uh, one of our favorite restaurants. The waitress came uh, back to our table. And pulls up the top of the platter and there's a box. It had a big bow on it. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me to marry him. And she said yes. We were whisked off to wonderful Southern California for our life together. And it was all about just, you know, how much money could we make? We bought a house with a beautiful ocean view. We had all the things of the world. We could spend money, go shopping, buy the right clothes. I thought our marriage was going great. I thought we had the perfect life. Those of us who have been married or are married can remember those early days. Maybe not with the ocean views and maybe not with tons of money, but we can remember those days where we thought life was perfect. And uh, we were very optimistic, just like Jeff and Cheryl were. Uh, You may remember this couple. I've showed these two before. And uh, as they get into life, as things start to unfold, that perfect life uh, seems to fade. Uh, it's not as strong as when it, we began, and some of us who have been married for a little while know that it's not something you can put on automatic pilot, and when you do put it on automatic pilot, things start to fade. And for Cheryl and Jeff, this is what happened. What started to happen to me was there was um, what I would call a numbness that started to happen. I didn't understand it. I started um, getting angry inside. As I was feeling emptier and emptier and emptier, uh, I started putting more time into my job, 
The men at work were paying a lot of attention to me, and I enjoyed it. One year, um, I went to our national sales meeting. I started talking to a man that I had known for a long time, and he started talking about his marriage and how uh, he wasn't happy. And I thought, oh my gosh, um, that sounds like me. This man flew into California, into Los Angeles, um, to meet with me one day. And um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, we met at a hotel. And that's when the relationship became physical and when I succumbed to a full-blown uh, adulterous affair. And so things start to unfold and unravel, and, uh, you know, all of us have, in a sense, had maybe some of these opportunities. And for Cheryl, uh, the marriage was not good, and so she's sharing this with someone else, and all of a sudden they have this commonality, and all of a sudden um, they're involved. Uh, last week when we started off, we started off in Matthew 5.27. I'd like you to open up to Matthew 5.27. Find that on page 678 in that Bible around you. If you want to do that, the Bible verses will also be up on uh, the screen. And uh, if you haven't done so already, I encourage you sometime to download the free app version, so you can have your Bible on your phone or wherever you go. So Matthew 5:27. we got into this last week. And last week we were talking, or we were seeing what Jesus was saying, and he says this, he starts off this, this, this beginning with this. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And last week we discussed that, and we're going to see how obviously all of this is interconnected and how what happens in the heart, and we spent a lot of time on that last week, the iceberg principle. You can go back and look at that. But uh, it's just not the physical act of adultery. It's, it's what starts in the heart, below the, the waterline of our lives. That's where this all starts to play out or get footing. When you and I, uh, in our hearts, there's this numbness, there's this whatever, and things, uh, in a sense, uh, start to start to really go awry. Uh, let's see what uh, happens next for um, Jeff and Cheryl. I was at home um, one evening reading the girls a bedtime story and the doorbell was ringing and it's the sheriff serving me with divorce papers. You know, I signed for the papers, headed back up the stairs, finished reading the bedtime story to the girls, put them down and then just basically went crazy. Went downstairs, I'm like, what is this all about? And I was cold. I was cold to him. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to go to counseling. I didn't want to make the marriage work. And so I divorced him on August 21st, 1992. Some of us have had experiences like that, where we thought things were fine, okay maybe even a little bit good, and all of a sudden, they're not. And the person we entered into this marriage with is telling us they, they don't want to be married anymore. Jesus goes on as he's talking about this. He's talking about adultery. He's talking about lust. He's talking about the heart. And then in verse 31, he says this. He says, it has been said, 
anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. As we get into this message, we're going to unpack that. I think Jesus is not saying some specific things that maybe you have heard that he is saying. And I think he is saying some things that maybe we've lost uh, sight of this. Now, as a church family, as Seneca Community Church, a number of years ago, uh, we came up with a definition for marriage. And and I'd like to read this. This is not in your notes. You can uh, pick up a statement of faith or a constitution. If you go to next, you'll hear a little bit about this. But this is what we we penned and, and added to our Um, statement of belief. We believe that God wonderfully and unchangeably created each person at conception as a male or a female, and these two distinctive complementary genders together reflect the image of and nature of God. Therefore, we recognize that God created marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman, and that any intimate sexual activity is is to occur exclusively within that union. And we could spend a lot of time unpacking it, but you get some of the ideas of where uh, doctrinally, theologically, our teaching is when it comes to marriage as a, a church. Now, in Jesus' day, the reason he says the statements he said, in Jesus' day, there were two Two thoughts, two philosophies when it came to divorce, when it came to uh, remarriage. And, and the first one was one by one by one by one rabbi and uh, Hillel. And this is what he said. He said basically you could divorce for any reason. Any reason, basically, is what he's saying. No cause divorce. And this was very popular with, obviously, a lot of people. So if you just wanted out for any reason, uh, you were out. And uh, this man based it on uh, Deuteronomy 24.1 and some other passages. If a man marries a woman and then it happens that he no longer likes her because he has found something wrong with her, he may give her divorce papers and put them in her hand and send her off. As simple as that. And uh, it means more than it means there, but this guy, Hillel, was saying this. So it could be as simple if you did not like the way your spouse cooked dinner, if you didn't like the way she looked now, if she wasn't attractive to you anymore, any reason you could send her off with divorce papers. And uh, what would happen to someone in Jesus' culture, especially for women, this was definitely a male-dominated uh, society in the sense that the men always won and the women always lost on these kinds of things. And uh, so Moses had said, you know, when a marriage is broken up, you can give them paperwork. And he's going, he's, he's, so Hillel says, this means for anything. And uh, what would happen to a woman specifically is if the marriage broke up, she'd end up going living with some family member because she had no way of supporting herself. So she might go back with mom and dad. Uh, There might be a wealthy family member she would go to, uh, you know, and and that was one option. It was very humiliating that day for the woman, not the man. Again, very um, lopsided in this. 
And then also there was the option that she could get remarried. Now, in this day and age, uh, if you got remarried, uh, that was okay, but you were still a little bit of a second-class citizen in most uh, cultural settings. And so that was one option uh, of three. And the last one was, was just unbelievable. And this, this was an option that was taken by a lot of these people, and that was uh, prostitution. And so when Jesus starts to talk about uh, being forced to commit adultery, it's because these women would have no way to care for them or their children. And maybe they couldn't go live with their family. There was too much shame or the family didn't want them. Uh, they, they weren't getting remarried, but they had to put food on the table. So this, this is what they, they would do. And so Jesus is looking at this system that's being expound by this guy named Hillel and saying, this is just so wrong. What you are doing is just so, so, so wrong. And so this is, but this is the view that this individual, uh, you know, presented. And we'll circle around to this again in just a few minutes. Then there was another view, and uh, this was divorce uh, for adultery. And this guy, uh, Shemel, Shemai, uh, he, he was at the other extreme, and uh, he would go back and he would, you know, pull out Exodus 20, 14, you know, the Ten Commandments, and, and he would say that unless there was adultery, unless there was unfaithfulness, um, then, then there was no reason for divorce. So he had these two, two extreme views. Anything goes, basically almost nothing goes. And so these were the two major teachings of this day. And so Jesus is getting ready to speak into it. Now, now a side issue we need to talk about, because we've all heard this, especially if we've grown up in church circles and depending our circles, is like, when is divorce adultery? Divorce is adultery when? And, and Jesus is going to speak into this and speak why he actually says this so strongly and uh, we're going to look at some other passages, too. Um, this is not the complete take on this. But uh, in Matthew, I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, you know, unpacks this with his paraphrase. This is what he says when he translates, renders uh, verse 32 of Matthew. He says this, Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whims, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress. This idea that you're only giving her three choices to do with her life. And most of the women out there are going out because they've got to survive and they're becoming prostitutes. And then he also goes on, unless she's already made herself by sexual promiscuity that way. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't, use legal, you can't use legal cover to mask a moral favor. And what they were doing is they were basically making it so easy, and they were making it really almost not like a, a marriage. It was just a, a, a legal transition, transaction. So as long as they had this paperwork, they could let somebody go, get somebody else, and they could do it all over the place. And in other passages of Scripture, we see that this idea that if someone's divorced and then they marry somebody else and then they get remarried, it was, just, it was, it was like to make something wrong legal. 
So these very legalistic, self-righteous, quote-unquote religious people were just, were just devastating. People's lives were being married, and they wanted to be legal. They weren't going to be fooling around, so they would marry someone, and the minute they got tired of them for whatever reason, they would legally divorce them, and then they were free to, to have another marriage. And so they were okay. But this other person wasn't because they had, in a sense, let them down. So it wasn't even the man's fault because, because, you know, the wife had let me down. She had changed. She wasn't pleasing me. And so she's the bad person. I'll give her a certificate so I'm okay. I'm not done anything wrong. And then I can move on to somebody else. And so this was going on. This was in the culture. And these people, again, would consider themselves so right, so noble that they had integrity. And Jesus is saying, no, no, either extremes need to be spoken into. So what, what is Jesus not saying? First of all, Jesus is not saying adultery is the only reason for divorce. Now, you may disagree with that. You may have a different teaching, but as we walk through this, I hope you start to think about some of these things, and I'm not at any means talking about ending a marriage, making it easy, and those kinds of things. Uh, I, I've probably done about 160 weddings maybe a little bit more. Um, all but two, maybe three, have I not done premarital counseling. And when I do premarital counseling, that's an investment of six to eight sessions. And, and that's a, I, I value doing that because I believe in marriage and, and want marriages uh, to last uh, for, the, for their lifetime. So, so, but Jesus is not saying adultery is the only reason for divorce. We'll get into that. Um, in Exodus, we read, this is Old Testament, if, a, if the man later marries another woman, he must continue to provide food, clothing for the one he bought, which is kind of interesting, and treat her as a wife, that means sexual intimacy, if he fails to do any of these things, she must get, be given her freedom without cost. And the idea here is that adultery is not the only reason for divorce. There is somewhere out there this line where you need to not abandon the other person. And this passage is talking about abandoning them by not taking care of their physical needs of food, clothing, and also intimacy. And so there's this idea out there that if someone is not providing these things... That can be a reason for divorce. Now, we can all find loopholes. If you really want to end a marriage, you can find loopholes. And you can find all kinds of things so that you can, quote-unquote, feel okay. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm trying to teach you. I want you to see the seriousness of it. If we were to go back to Malachi, which we're not, uh, God says, I hate divorce. It doesn't mean he hates people who get divorces. He hates what a divorce actually does to somebody's life. And, uh, you know, again, all of us have different experiences with this. Uh, watching my sister go through one right now, it, 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 is, it is unbelievably hard. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about unbelievably hard. And that's why God hates divorce. God wants us to take marriage seriously. He wants us not to uh, just get into any kind of relationship. 
And the reason he doesn't want us to get divorced isn't to hurt us, isn't to limit us, isn't to uh, keep us together with somebody who's horrible. He just realizes that separating two who have become one is extremely painful, hurtful, and it doesn't go away easily. It's, it's hard. And so, you know, that, that's what Jesus is getting at. But there's this idea that uh, it isn't just adultery. There's this idea we can look at in, in Corinthians, and we'll see there's this idea of abandonment. But again, you, you, can, you can make a little bit of abandonment and make it bigger than it really is. You can play all kinds of games. Uh, but the idea here is that uh, there are cases where marriages don't make it. And it's not that God's okay with them. You're going to see that Moses gave those people in that situation uh, permission to divorce, a papers for divorce, a certificate for divorce because of their hardness of their heart. Again, it keeps coming back to uh, their heart. Um, and then there's also Jesus is not saying anyone who remarries commits adultery. I've been in experiences where uh, somebody's expound this view and uh, really uh, hurt people. Well, if they hurt people and it's right or wrong, that doesn't really matter, but but been very destructive. And then I've watched them change their view, and which is kind of interesting, uh, that they, they projected it a certain way, and, and then they changed the view. But, but Jesus is not getting at that. Remember, he's getting at this idea that, that men... On almost like a whim, would want a different wife, so to make it legal and make it right, they'd give this, these papers, and then they were free to go marry someone else. And it was like, basically, just almost like, uh, you know, six-month, uh, you know, flings, and then go on to somebody else. But because of the certificate of divorce, this paperwork, they were made to look okay, and that, and that, that is not true. It's not true at all. But when they're doing that, then they're really being in, living an adulterous um, lifestyle. So anyone who remarries, he's not saying, is committing adultery. Another thing, and this may be hard, adultery always needs to end in divorce. Some, sometimes I, I've met couples that, uh, and again, it comes back to their heart, that one person doesn't want to be married anymore, so it's almost like they purposely drive somebody into the arms of somebody else so that when they have that kind of relationship, then they can say, see, they committed adultery, I'm okay. <laughs> that, that, that's not the way this is supposed to unfold. You're going to see the rest of this story as we move along, and you're going to see some amazing things happen. But Hosea, if you ever want to read about this, read about Hosea the prophet, who God actually had marry someone who was unfaithful. And she was unfaithful all over the place. On and on. When he would have kids with her, he would actually, if you can do the study, you'll see that their names are named names that say, like, I don't even know if this is my child, but I'm providing for this child. And uh, so this is, this is what's going on in the book of Hosea. And at the end, Hosea goes back and takes his wife. And Hosea, we read this, start all over. Love your wife again. This is God speaking to Hosea. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people. 
and even as they flirt and party with every god that takes their fancy. So I can't unpack all of this right now, but I want to say it isn't an automatic get-out-of-marriage-free card when one of the spouses is unfaithful. Not automatic. Not automatic. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. He's saying a certificate for divorce is setting the bar low. This isn't like, okay, it's great and everything, because I gave a certificate of divorce. It's not that easy. Jesus says, Moses provided for divorce as a concession to your hard-heartedness, but it's not a part of God's original plan. I'm holding you to the original plan, and I'm holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife and then marry someone else. I make an exception in the case where the spouse has committed adultery. And you can also translate that unfaithfulness. So Moses is saying, Jesus is quoting Moses, he's saying, it's, 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 not, it's not a good thing, it's not an easy thing, it's because of your hard-heartedness. You and I, it's our hearts engaged. It's amazing when I'm working with a couple that are deciding that their marriage is no longer going to be there. Occasionally, one wants to work on it and the other one doesn't want to work on it. Never goes forward. And then sometimes the one who wanted to work on it, gets so sick and tired that they give up, and then about the time they give up, the other person wants to work on it, and now it's flipped. It comes back to the heart. This is hard stuff. This is why those of you who are not married, don't be totally scared of getting married, but, but have your eyes wide open. Use wisdom. Make good decisions. If you see things that need to be fixed before you quote-unquote get married, make sure that mama fixes them beforehand. Don't marry the person and think that you're going to fix that person. Very rarely does that ever happen. You might be able to give me one example, but very rarely does that ever happen. You see, this is a low bar. It comes from hard-heartedness. So, again, we've said this, but I want to drill this home. Divorce is a matter of our heart. It's internal. To get married, you have to do a lot of growing up. You've got to put the other person first at the same time. Not everyone is mature enough to, be, to live a life married. It requires a certain aptitude and grace Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. This idea of being mature, having an aptitude and grace, it isn't for everyone. 
You need to, to grow. Uh, marriage isn't a, like a one-and-done thing. You do all this preparation to get married, and man, now you're married, and it's just easy street. That's where the work really begins. It's a joyful work, but that's where the work really begins. It's just like those of us who have kids. You do all this stuff getting ready for kids. You're putting stuff together. You're going to these classes. You're doing all this kind of stuff, waiting for that baby to come, thinking, wow, this is a lot of work, and the real work starts once you have the baby. That was nothing, nothing getting ready for the baby. It's once you have that baby. It's the same thing with marriage. It's joyful, it's fun, it's great. I was very immature, but I was 22 when I got married. Done a lot of growing up, still have some growing up to do. Love it, can't imagine living any other way. Don't want to live any other way. But I had to grow up a lot. Talk to Cindy. She's not in here, so I can say this. So, <laughs> In kid zone. So. We move along with the story of Jeff and Cheryl. About three months after our divorce happened, um, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was an unbelievable day. And it was probably, besides the day of my divorce, probably one of the saddest days of my life. And that's because I looked behind me and I saw what I had left behind. I had made a huge mistake, and the huge mistake was that I didn't know Christ. A few months after that, um, I kept hearing this, it was a stirring that was going on in my heart to call Jeff to repent to him for all the things I had done wrong, how I had hurt him, and also just a very small inkling of, I want you to try to reconcile your marriage. Cheryl wrote me a letter and she called me up and said, look, I've written you a letter. I want to come over to your house. I want to sit down in your living room and read it to you. I was very nervous and he wasn't open to me. I just asked him if I could come over for 10 minutes. And I said to her, look, if you want to come over and talk to me about the girls, that's great, but anything else, I don't want to, ha I don't want to have anything else to do with it. And I said, this isn't about the girls. And he said, no. And I said, just give me 10 minutes. And I finally said, okay, you can come over, you can sit across the room in this one chair and read me the letter. I don't know what kind of response you're wanting from me, but I just want you to know that, you know, I still don't trust you. So what do we do at this point? One of the messages that come from the New Testament is reconciliation and always the goal until it is impossible. There are things that make it impossible. Someone gets remarried. Other things. But in an ideal world, reconciliation is always the goal until it's impossible. Paul speaks of this when he says, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let her go or him go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. So the goal is reconciliation. I have a friend, and this isn't the norm, 
And this is, again, when we talk about this, this isn't to be uh, come across judgy. It's not to come down on anybody. It's to have that life that we've talked about that Jesus offers us that we can be better at living. I have a friend uh, who's married about seven years, got involved with an affair. His marriage blew up. They had three boys. And uh, it went on for years and years and years. And I want to say they ended up being separated and divorced for probably close to 10 years. And the long and the short is that towards the end of that 10 years, they started dating again, and they got remarried. And now they've been married probably for 19 years. So those stories are possible. So reconciliation is always the goal until it's impossible. And you're going to see with this couple... It, it, was, it, it was hard. Cheryl's ready to try to give it a start, and Jeff isn't. Jeff is rightfully hurt and crushed and, and, just, and just broken because of it. So when we're thinking about all of these ideas, what should we do? I want to refer back to last week, part five. I'm not going to read through all these, but you can go back and find part five where we talk about what we should do when it talks about adultery and lust. Those same things apply when it comes to this whole process of making a marriage work, making it not just surviving, but thriving. And so what should we do? We should own our brokenness, uh, capture our thoughts, flee sexual immorality, cultivate healthy intimacy, and be nourished on God's love. Let's see what happens next for Jeff and Cheryl. For those first three years following the divorce, I was so angry at Cheryl that I couldn't even look at her. I started pretty quickly after the divorce going to a Friday morning men's Bible study. And finally, about three years after the divorce, one night in my bed reading the Bible, uh, and I came across a passage in Proverbs. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it was just, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And through that, God was just showing me Jeff, you've been leaning on your own understanding for years. And for the first time, I want you to trust in me with all your heart. And that night as I sat there in bed and just prayed and cried and wept, I think for the first time I realized, you know, I need to give up, surrender my whole heart to the Lord. And that night, um, Jesus became first in my life. The bottom of that list when I said, what should we do? It all comes back to that idea of making Jesus first in your life. That's a process. That's an investment that just doesn't happen at the snap of two fingers. It's a process. But as you and I think about these kinds of issues, it all comes back to learning to put Jesus first in our lives to integrate our alignment with him, our walk with him, our relationship with him in our everyday, daily decisions. Now, why is this all such a big deal? Why is it so important? Because there's three options when it comes to this marriage thing and this divorce thing. The writer of Hebrews writes, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. Why does he do that? Because he knows it takes the joy out of 
marriage. He's not trying to deprive someone of something. He wants us to live the best life we can in this broken world. And he knows there's something sacred about marriage. There's something sacred about intimacy. We talked a lot about that last week. And that is so important. He wired us for those kinds of relationships. He wired us for that. Why is this so big deal? Because we get burned when we play around with this. In Proverbs we read, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes getting burned? Can a man walk on whole hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. The idea is that this may be fun for a moment, it may be exciting, it may be an adventure, but eventually, when you're playing with fire, you get, I get, we get burned. You get burned. Also, there is the idea that this is actually say, um, I'm missing a slide in here. <laughs> The next one should say, you get beat up. It's not there, but uh, you get beat up. And in Proverbs 6.32, we read, Adultery is a brainless act, a soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. And we unpacked that a little bit when we talked last week about casualness. So why do we take this so important? We can get burned, we can get beat up. But also, on the other side, it's just not avoiding something. It's enjoying the blessing of life, that you and I get blessed. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, we read, Enjoy life with the woman you love. Cherish every moment of meeting, of, of, of... of this fleeting life which God has given you under the sun. For this is your lot in life, your great reward for all your hard work under the sun. When you and I, when you and I, when it comes to our married life, enjoy our spouse, it is a blessing. It changes everything. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do if uh, you're in a situation where you say, I've already had a marriage, it's beyond reconciliation. What, what, what do I do? How, how do I, what do I do in my own life? What do I do if I'm married and I want to turn this marriage around? I just don't want to survive marriage. I want to thrive in marriage. I love what uh, Greg Kershell says. This is one of our bottom lines. We have two this morning. A godly marriage isn't as much about finding the right person as becoming the right person. A godly marriage isn't as much about finding the right person as becoming the right person. Sometimes we look at our married life and we go, wow, uh, if I had just got the right person. No, no, it comes back to us. It comes back to making Christ center in our lives. You see, it's about becoming right ourselves, taking responsibility for our part of our lives. Now, there's some situations where the other person just is, is done. 
And you could give me all these uh, reasons and all these situations, and, it, and it's done. It's done. But don't go there too quickly. Most of the time, we go there too quickly. So it's about becoming the right person. For those of us who aren't married and want to be married, and we're looking for that person, it comes, becomes, it's become the person who the person you are looking for is looking for. So if you're looking for someone who wants to walk with the Lord, wants to honor the Lord, then what kind of person do they want to walk with? I one time remember talking with someone about these ideas, and, and they drew a picture of the perfect person for their lives. And very sheepishly, but very clearly, with compassion, I said, that kind of person isn't going to want you. They don't want you the way you live. I don't mean to be mean, but, but why would you think that kind of person would, would want a kind of person that, that lives the way you live? There's not a matchup. They're, they're not going to want you. So what you need to be focused in on more than finding that right person is becoming that right person, growing in that area. You see, this is a really hard situation. This is a really hard subject, and, and we all get touched by it in different ways. And Jesus isn't saying he hates the person who's divorced. He isn't saying that the person who remarries is committing adultery. But he isn't saying rush into something either. It's a little bit gray or it's a little bit messier. But you know, when we work on our own lives, when we put him first, it starts to cause other things, not overnight, to start to fall into place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the realness of your word, your scripture, Jesus' words. I pray for my friends this morning, and I ask that uh, you would uh, encourage us, that you would give us hope, uh, that the person who's involved in a relationship right now, a marriage that seems to be failing, would be able to slow, put the brakes down, and look in a different direction that the person that uh, has already had a situation where the marriage is over, Lord, I pray that they would have hope and healing in you and that they would realize, just like anything, there is forgiveness. There's acceptance by you, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to lean into you and make you the center of our lives no matter where we are in our marital status, if you will. We just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.